Welcome to another edition of What Barry's Talking About from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, seven garage fires in Barry since the start of the year, millions of dollars in damage. What's going on and how can you keep it from happening to you? And we go further with your safety, getting tips ahead of emergency preparedness week. The Barry Farmers Market has teamed up with Barry Police and the Barry Public Library on a new mental health awareness initiative. And would you believe we need to have a chat with our grandparents about safe sex? Yeah, you do. But first, we as a nation are mourning the loss of an icon, a national treasure. Singer and songwriter Gordon Lightfoot died this week at age 84. Born in Aurelia, known around the world, his songs covered by just about everyone. Elvis, Streisand, Belafonte, and so many others. He was a frequent performer at the Mariposa Folk Festival in Aurelia. The festival's Pam Carter remembers how humble and courteous he was. She's with Barry 360's Ian McLennan. Your relationship with Gordon Lightfoot, how far does it go back? involved with Mariposa for about 14 years, so I've known Gord, you know, since those those first days when I became involved. You know, at some points he was to come and perform on stage, and other times he would just show up with guitar in hand, and it was always a treat to uh, to greet him and uh, chat with and visit with, with him. So no invitation needed. If Gord was there, Gord got a stage. If Gord was there, Gord got a stage. If he was invited to perform, he'd show up with a driver in a Lincoln Town car. If he was coming on his own, it was just whatever car he happened to be driving at the time, and, and then he'd pull, and it's like, hey, there's Gord. And the ripple would go out across the audience. There, Gord's here. Gord's here. I wonder if he'll perform. And not only through the audience, the ripple went out in the green room where all the artists were commingling. He was an icon in the industry, and they were in awe of his, you know, being in his presence and uh you know, just the work that he's done uh, over his lifespan uh, just stood him out with uh, with our artists. And the relationship between Mariposa and Gord, for people who aren't familiar. Yeah, Gord uh, applied for the first Mariposa Folk Festival in 1961, and he was advised at that time he was too commercial and sounded too much like the Everly Brothers. And on stage last year, he related that story, and he said, that can't be all bad, can it, being like the Everly Brothers? So he did perform, I believe, in 1964. But what was really, and he's performed about 10, oh, easily 10 times since Mariposa's in the back in Aurelia. But the the instrumental point there was Gord performed in, in 2000, the first year Mariposa came back to Aurelia after a long hiatus and, and traveling around the province. And having Gord on the bill ensured Mariposa's success for its first festival back in Aurelia. He performed without a fee. We paid his band, but he performed without a fee. And that just set Mariposa on the path to success in a, back in Aurelia, and we haven't looked back since. I mean, the tributes have come in from, you know, from around the world, from the average person to celebrities. Um, just what I've read about Gordon Lightfoot, I think he'd almost feel uncomfortable with, uh, with the attention. I totally agree. My, you know, my familiarity with Gord is his humbleness and his generosity. So when I, you know, when I say he shows up in his own car, and I have a picture of him at one time. He showed up, he was in the parking lot, and he's tuning his guitar in the rear of his car because he doesn't want to ask for a trailer or for a space to tune his guitar. That's just the kind of guy he was. I, I drove him around quite a bit last summer at the festival in the golf cart. He would stop. Patrons and fans would approach, and he would sign autographs. He was just very generous at this time and, and very humble. 
And what about uh, Mariposa this year? Um, will there be some tweaks now, or are you, are you planning some sort of tribute, appreciating it still early? Yeah, I think there'll definitely be some tweaks. Um, we'll, uh, we'll just start working on that. We are busy last night, of course, um, paying tribute to, to Gord. And uh, we're now working with the city of Aurelia, who will also um, do a tribute to Gord, because certainly he's a hometown man, right? He's, he's Aurelia's own. So we're working with the city of Aurelia, and then we'll get on to um, doing some programming for Mariposa. So that, uh, you can absolutely expect to see something there. Gordon Lightfoot collected 12 Juno Awards in his career, was nominated for Grammy Awards, and was inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. It's a junk room, a TV room, a smoking room, and it's become a dangerous room in Barrie. Seven garage fires in the city since the start of the year, two of them in the last week, more than $2 million in damage. Deputy Fire Chief Kerry Clark sat down with our Will Conkin about some of the factors leading to these fires and getting them in check. Why are garages more susceptible to fires? People's garages generally attached when in the city are used for such a multitude of things within um, your home, you know, storage. People carve out a little space where they can have some private area from inside the house. A lot of people like to smoke in their garage because they're they're banned from smoking in their house. Um, They store all their DIY stuff, so stuff coming out, stuff going in. And uh, and in some um, situations, people are uh, amalgamating because of the cost of housing. So they're amalgamating families or groups and no one likes to get rid of their stuff until they're in their space. So all of their stuff comes with them and the garage gets full. I know like a lot of people, maybe they have their like uh, clippings from outside or stuff or like lawn kind of extras that are in like the bags and all that. Like are those kind of like the main things that can catch on fire or like cans of like stain and stuff like that. Our number one cause of fires right now uh, this year has been smokers materials. So improperly um, disposing of your cigarette butts or um, other smoking materials. So that's, that's our number one cause at this point. Um, So really you need to put them in metal containers, uh, non-combustible containers that have sand or water. Make sure you don't butt it out in a planter or in the um, shrubbery around the house. That's also combustible. We do get those, uh, well, when it stops raining out and it dries out a wee bit, we'll uh, start to see some of those fires as well. A cigarette butt can um, smolder for approximately two to three hours and can still be a competent ignition source in that time. Four of our um, fires have been in the evening, like 10, 11 o'clock. So you've just had that uh, quick drag after supper time, you know, just refresh yourself for the evening before you go to bed. Uh, butt it out, and then two hours later, your garage is on fire. To like assess your garage, especially you were mentioning about like a lot of clutter, everyone just putting all of their storage right in there. When someone, maybe to prevent these fires, to assess your garage, what's kind of like the steps to kind of take? Like, should you make almost like a pathway, like kind of like what? what's the best for storing all of your stuff? The best is to actually edit your stuff and don't store something that you haven't needed or aren't going to need. So move into your space, identify what's important to you, and then honestly, move it along. So donate it, dispose of it, whatever those things are. We see a lot of fires where people have built mezzanines so that they can store all of the, you know, their children's clothing. You know, the child is is 18 now, but they've got their baby clothes in a Tupperware container on a mezzanine. 
it's important stuff. The memories are there, but do you really need uh, that particular item? The other thing is the when a garage is attached to the house, the fire separations are very critical in between the two. But when people construct things to store more stuff, they damage the fire separation, which causes an opportunity for smoke and heat to to more easily penetrate into the living space. If you're going to use your garage as a living space, clean it the same way you clean the inside of the house, right? And if there is a door that connects the garage to the house, make sure that that door latches properly. Maybe even install a self-closer on it so that it will close behind you every time. And if you have a fire, if you notice a fire in your garage, make sure you keep all the doors closed. The one into the house and the big one in the front. Call 911. We're going to come to your address anyway. Do not open the doors because it will ventilate control itself. So it'll smolder. But if you open the doors and give it the oxygen, it's going to burn and it's going to burn faster and hotter um, without um, opportunity for extinguishment. And homeowners, they have smoke alarms in their home, but why not in the garage at all? Smoke alarms are engineered for living spaces. So the temperature extremes, the humidity extremes, the things that people normally do in their garage, or in some cases normally do in their garage, which causes dust and debris to gather in the smoke alarm, would cause it to malfunction. So you could install a heat detector and wire it into your house. Um, That's one way. Or uh, sprinklers are the fastest, most efficient way. So if there was an opportunity to sprinkler your house and your garage, that would be the fastest water. If people don't already have a plan of attack when a fire occurs, should they create almost like another one for the garage itself? Or should that also be with it? And if a fire happens in their household, they're ready to ready to go. Because the, the fire can grow in the garage a lot faster undetected, your home escape plan is very critical because quite often a bedroom or a living space is directly over the garage or directly attached to the garage. So in, in making sure that everyone gets out um, immediately on detection of the fire is critical. Don't stop and get your stuff. Don't stop for anything. Get out of the house. Get to the front yard. Make sure someone's calling 911. When you have garage fires, uh, they burn so hot because we keep all of our stuff in the garage. Anything that is too grubby for the house is stored in the garage, right? So we've got uh, we've got aerosols, we've got uh, fuel containers, we've got spray bombs, all the extra clothes, the boxes, the the wood, the fuel load in there is significant, and the heat release rate of the fuel that's in there is significant. Education is the biggest. Absolutely. So when you have a chance, tidy your stuff. Make sure there's a path. Keep all of the combustibles away from the things that get hot. If you have um, scooters or e-bikes or battery-operated anything, make sure the charging station is well away from anything that's combustible. Um, If you smoke in your garage, uh, butt out properly in a non-combustible and clean that non-combustible container on the regular as well. Because if they fall out and onto the floor, that's you've defeated the whole purpose. For more on fire prevention, log on to barry.ca slash fire.
The first outdoor berry farmers market of 2023 is this Saturday. It will feature not just food vendors, but a partnership between the market, berry police, and the berry public library to promote mental health initiatives in the city. Here again is Ian McLennan with the market's Jamie Grant and Sergeant Trevor Marsh of the Berry Police Service. Why this partnership? You know, people think the farmers market, they're there, you know, to buy things and, you know, items. Uh, why mental health? Well, actually, the farmer's market, part of our mandate is to partner with community groups and to offer a community space. So what I really liked about this initiative was that it was a community of care initiative and bringing all of these services together in one space. I don't really think I've seen that happen before, and I think it's going to be amazing as a resource for the public to come out and see what they can do to help for their mental health. Any idea on how many vendors you will have and, uh, you know, what will be going on that day specifically? Absolutely. I have uh, approximately 60 vendors on the Berry Farmers Market side, so all their local farms and, and bakers and things. But then on the agency side, I think we're looking at about 52 tables currently. And Berry Police, um, what's their role um, in Mental Health Awareness Week, but specifically at the event itself at the Farmers Market? Often police come into contact with members of the community from all walks of life and require any number of supports. So we find ourselves routinely in a position to offer these individuals the appropriate agencies. That's why it's equally important that all stakeholders within the community, including those in emergency services, to have this awareness and also be able to engage in this sort of networking opportunity. Now, police are not specialists in this area of mental health. We rely heavily on the experience, knowledge, and support available within the community to help provide assistance, support, and guidance from the most appropriate service provider. And Barry Police have been uh, proactive, too, with Canadian Mental Health when you go out to certain calls that um, you sometimes do have somebody who's a trained specialist in mental health that can assist the police. Is that correct? Absolutely. We have two uh, uh, response models, one being COAST, our Crisis Outreach and Response Team, and MSIR, which is the Mobile Crisis Response Team. And they partner with uh, both CMHA and MCERT is with RBH. And what sort of training, too, um, do Barry Police Service uh, involve themselves with in terms of, you know, mental health and, you know, learning about, uh, you know, the struggles that people do have? I mean, you come, you deal with that every day or your age, your service? Yes. So there's various training opportunities for officers, and we're always uh, in the process of ensuring that uh, frontline officers in particular have CIT training. That critical incident uh, training, and uh, that provides them with some of the tools necessary to carry out um, their everyday uh, roles and interactions that they're going to have or come into contact with with community members. And some of the agencies that you know of that will be uh, participating at um, at this event at the farmers market. Well, we have quite an extensive list, all the way from RVH to the CMHC to having the Alzheimer's Society, almost all agencies that have anything to do with wellness or mental health or addiction will be present that day. So if you have somebody in your household or in your circle that is suffering, you can find those agencies there and talk directly to them and find out what resources are available for either yourself or someone that you care about. As always, the Farmer's Market runs till noon on Saturday on Mulcaster Street outside Barry City Hall. 
What Barry's Talking About is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry has to offer and more. We've covered a lot of ground since we began in mid-July. Tips to guard against the scams we've been inundated with. Learned about the local Camp Hill Foundation, which works with adults who have intellectual and developmental disabilities. And we got caught up with Innisfil singer-songwriter Kyle Walkup. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to what Barry's talking about through any streaming service. Still to come on what Barry's talking about, getting ready for another McHappy Day, having the sex chat with your grandparents, and making sure you're prepared for any emergency. Now this. Our community rocks. It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling 1-888-2-DONATE. Our community rocks on Barry's Rock Station. Rock 95. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. Big doings next week at McDonald's. The annual Make Happy Day, raising funds for Ronald McDonald houses across the country as well as local charities. In Barry, that would be the neonatal intensive care unit at RVH. Dale and Charlie from Cool Mornings had a fun chat about it with Jason O'Neill and Trevor McKee from McDonald's in Barry and Pam Ross from the RVH Foundation. You know, last year, I mean, Happy Day happened, but it was still on a, in a smaller scale. Like we weren't in the store you know, helping serve and, and being a part of it because we still weren't allowed, really. Right. So this year, like, I get to come We're and... back, baby. I get to serve the fries. 100%. I and can't promise that I might not take one. As I, okay, no. Quality control. Right? Yeah, for that reason. Anyway, go on. Well, we're back at it again, and it's been 46 years. Wow. We've, we've raised millions and millions of dollars for children in need in our community. Um, and it, we're just so delighted to be able to give back to our community and help children in need. Now, this year, of course, there's always uh, not only Ronald McDonald House attached to McHappy Day, as we all know, but there's always another component to the charity uh, aspect of this. And that's why you're in here this morning, Pam. That's right. We are so proud and, um, and grateful for the fact that this will be the ninth year that um, McHappy Day has uh, has benefited RVH and our tiniest, weest, sickest patients in our in our NICU. McHappy um, Day has raised almost a quarter of a million dollars uh, mm. for RVH over over those nine years, and we are super grateful uh, for that support over cool. all that time. Cool. So, give us the give us the specifics, the dates, yeah, times, so- and the actual items that we should be focusing on. Yeah, so Wednesday, May 10th, come on out all day long, yes. and a portion of all items will be donated all to the items, great church. The all so items. before it used to be like coffees or just like Big Mac, but you're just yeah, going whole everything. menu. The Amazing. Whole, the whole menu. Okay. And, and if you Even come the in. pizza? <laughs> I'm working on ne- it. I'm trying. Never say never. Charlie, never say never. <laughs> She's dying to have the pizza back. If, and, and come out. If you can't make it on the day, come out before. Make yeah. a donation. You can yeah. buy a heart. You can buy socks. Right. I love we'll the donate. socks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's cool. why my kids actually get new socks. I wait till make happy day and I buy like 10 pairs and that's their socks for the year. Really? Yeah. 
Because not only is it good, and they're good quality, and they're cute, and then my kids don't lose them. You're going to have to start coming up with new McDonald's branded gear so that she can outfit her kids totally. Yes, please. It's like yeah. next like year we've got, pants a, we've and got a, a pullover coming next year, some branded shorts. That's awesome, right? Yeah, some shoes. Sure. You sure. can also go online, and there's a piece collection that, that's um, a Canadian company that is um, make is making vintage yes. McDonald's hoodies and shirts. I've and you go seen online it. and buy those. And, okay, except they're and always sold out. As well. This year we won't sell out. We've oh, got a lot more. Last amazing. year they were very, very hot. But there's hoodies and yeah. Grimace and, and See, if I, Mary put, if I put a purple hoodie on, I kind of look like Grimace. <laughs> <laughs> I've, well, got, May- I've got the shape. And, and this is why you got to come out on May 10th to support McHappy Day to yeah. see that. Yeah, Beautiful. Dale will be Grimace on McHappy Day. Wow. I yeah. love it. I love the fact that it's just going to be the whole menu this time around. And it's great for Ronald McDonald House and also for the NICU over at RVH, which we're all really, you know, we're very excited about all the work you're doing there with that. So thank you, everybody, for coming in. Jason, Trevor, Pam, it's wonderful. And we look forward to May the 10th for Make Happy Day. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely, joined by Colleen Simpson, the manager of 911 and emergency planning for the county of Simcoe. Next week is emergency preparedness week. You and I get together every year and give people all kinds of wonderful knowledge about getting prepared for every possible emergency. Is it working? Are they getting the message? Are they getting prepared? Thanks, Dan. I'd like to think they are. Emergency preparedness starts at home, so get yourselves ready. Have a plan. Have an emergency preparedness kit for at least 72 hours. More if you can. What do we need to put in it for this time of year? For this time, we'd want some foods that you'll actually eat, but non-perishable foods, so canned and dried items. And then to prepare them, you need a can opener, a pot, things like that. You want four liters of water per person per day. Maybe some games for your kids, games for everyone. Have a first aid kit available. Have some cash on hand and a copy of your prescriptions in case you run out and you need to refill them. In the car, half tank of gas anyway. I never let mine get below half a tank. You never know when you'll be stuck on the highway or if there's a power outage, you may not be able to pump gas in your tank. It's also a good idea to carry cash in your car in case you're faced with an emergency or an outage like we did last summer with the Rogers outage. Exactly. I was going to bring that up. That uh, was huge and it impacted a lot of people for... uh couple, three days in some cases before everybody was back up and running. But you don't realize what impact something like that has until it happens. And it was huge. It's right. And people that were on another service like Bell didn't experience the same impact, but it affected a huge amount of people. Uh, They had no internet, which is fine for if you don't want to surf the net. But if you're at work and you rely on the internet for your job, it can have some critical impacts. So having a backup in place is critical, especially for your workplace. Having uh, alternate methods of doing your work, like paper copies of forms or or processes, and uh, having good training available so you know what to do when there's an outage. Along that same line, I I drove down to uh, Waterloo a couple of weeks ago for a seminar, and um, I, I like taking the back roads. I don't like taking the main highways. It's just not a pleasurable drive for me. But I was thinking as I'm driving, because I've, I've got, you know, Google Maps and Apple Maps, and what if something happens and I can't access that, and I'm in the middle of nowhere, we should have a paper map still in the car, shouldn't we? I still have a paper map, the map book in my car. You should also know where you are at all times in case you do have to call 911. If you're not sure where you are, that 911 service may help you. Definitely a good practice to get into is to maybe map out your route before you go 
And then use your electronic mapping as a backup or at the time of your drive. All right. Some individual emergencies that we talk about every year and give advice. And one of the things that uh, we worry about in this area coming up to that uh, season is tornadoes. And uh, we talk every year about uh, being prepared, what you should and shouldn't do. So lead us through that. There are, on average, 12 tornadoes every year in Ontario alone. So we're in an area that we get these probably one per year in the last 10 years, on average. Not all of them affect us. Some are out in forests or in the fields, but we want to be prepared for tornadoes. So if there is a tornado warning or you think you see a tornado, get inside a sturdy building, go into the interior of the building, and if that's not possible, go into a room that has no windows. If that's still not possible, get under a table or something, a piece of furniture that's solid. If you are outdoors and that's not an option, stay away from trees or power lines or bridges. Uh, lie face down wherever you are, but the lowest spot possible, like a ditch, and then cover your head with your hands. Some people still have a problem with this, though, like laying down in a ditch in a tornado, but it's actually considered the safe, one of the safest spots you can be outdoors. feels counterintuitive, but you want to be at the lowest point because the tornado will and flying debris will hit whatever is in its path. So you want to be below that as much as possible. And uh, you mentioned uh, stay away from bridges. For a long time, people said get under a bridge, and, and now we're saying no. Yeah, for some reason, the wind likes to collect items and, and debris and kind of circle it under the bridge. So you might be right in the path of that flying debris. So stay away from bridges. Having an emergency plan is uh, very, very important for the entire family. That's right. You want to know where to go if you have to leave the house immediately. So practice it with your family. It can be somewhere like a nearby tree. It can be a neighbor's house. It can be a library or some uh, public facility, but you want to know where to go and you want your family to know where to meet you. From tornadoes to uh, thunder and lightning storms. And people still love thunderstorms. They like to get out and watch them, but uh, they shouldn't be doing that, should they? I love to watch them too, but I watch them from inside my house. Uh, Take shelter in any kind of building you can. And again, same as tornadoes, you want to stay away from the windows actually and get indoors inside the building. Stay away from doors, windows, fireplaces and electrical appliances. If you're outside, uh, get into a building or a vehicle as soon as possible. And if that's not an option, uh, go low and stay as low as possible like you do in a tornado. Power outages, what are some do's and don'ts? Ensure you have some working flashlights with batteries or wind-up flashlights in your house. Candles, preferably now the battery-operated ones because they are much safer. Always have your smoke and carbon monoxide alarms, of course, installed, but you want them to have backup battery options as well, so they'll work during a power outage. Keep a fire extinguisher in your home and have a backup generator if you can. It's not always an option, but if you do have a backup generator, just have enough fuel to fuel it for a few days. Something new you wanted to talk about this year, cybersecurity. That's right. There has been a huge increase of cyber attacks, even just since the pandemic. So the last few years, we've seen uh, an increase in these attacks. With your computers, use smart passwords. I even use a pass phrase. So it's a, a, a few words strung together with a number. Disable features you don't use on your phone, like GPS or Bluetooth, and try not to use public Wi-Fi. Maintain up-to-date software and don't use the remember me function on your computer because it'll save your passwords somewhere on your computer. 
back up your devices regularly. And another idea is to save important documents on a disk or a thumb drive. So you have them in case of emergency and then store them somewhere else, like your workplace or a cottage or somewhere else. So if they are destroyed in a fire, at least you have an alternate copy somewhere. You want those documents like insurance, passports, uh, anything that you might need uh, when your documents are gone. Of course, all this information readily available on the County of Simcoe website. That's right, simcoe.ca slash be prepared. You'll find lots of tips and tricks there. Time to have the safe sex chat with your grandparents. What? It's true. Sexually transmitted infections among Canadians over the age of 60 have increased 240%. Remember the candy jar your grandparents had when you were a kid? Well, Gems Condoms has introduced what it calls old candies to help get the conversation started. Jane Johansson, youngest daughter of Sue Johansson, she of the Sex with Sue shows, is helping to spread the word. She's with our MJ. This product, it's its really interesting. I mean, it's its definitely not something new, but the marketing behind it is, is really something that people probably don't think about, and that is geared towards um, our seniors. These two women, uh, with me and uh, Yasmin, they started this company in 2021, and it's, um, it's a company that is uh, producing a product, condom, through a company called Gem. Uh, their company, and um, they wanted to kind of create a normalized sex and condom use. And so they've uh, created this product that has um, new, um, interesting packaging and want to uh, encourage people to uh, start using it regardless of your age because of the uh, sexually transmitted diseases that have skyrocketed in amongst our seniors as of late. Do you have any stats or whatever when it comes to our seniors? Yeah, so apparently the, the stats on seniors getting chlamydia is way above anybody else. Uh, chlamydia is up like 267%, syphilis is up 340%, and gonorrhea 388%. And uh, those, those numbers are huge. And these are senior citizens. These are people who are over 65, and that is um, a startling, startling number. Why do you think the number is specifically high in this demographic? I have a feeling that because they have more time on their hands, they might be recently widowed or become single later in life, and so now they're exploring the possibilities of having intimacy again and still wanting to remain sexually active. There, some of them might be in retirement homes where you're living in closer quarters, so your your social group has extended, and you're able to meet more people in kind of comfortable situations. And also, I think they're not taking preventative cautions because they're like, well, I'm. You know, I'm not going to get pregnant now, so I don't. We don't have to use condoms, or we don't have to use um, any kind of birth control. So condoms goes in with that, and unfortunately, because of that, and because of possibly an unawareness of the the situation, because the, it can be very asymptomatic, a lot of them, they um, they it remains untested, and they continue to um, to be sexually active. Because uh, seniors tend to have weakened immune systems and other problems, would it create even more potential? health issues for them in the long run? I think it's just because it goes undetected. So I think we need to encourage them not only to A, use condoms, but also to get tested. So they need to realize that, that um, if they are going to be sexually active, that, the, that they need to uh, take responsibility for that or just to be encouraged to have some form of education around it. And I think that's where it comes to the grandchildren or possibly the um, their own uh, kids who would possibly introduce uh, opening up the conversation of, around this. 
And that's where this product is kind of fun. It's all centered around a hard candy. That's correct. So um, they have packages of these hard candies, and they come in all different flavors. There's like bedroom berry and body banana, pleasurable pear, sensual strawberry. And the wrappers around these candies um, encourage conversation. So they have um, inside, they have like the bedroom berry has safer sex with the partner. And so you unwrap the, the candy and there's the, um, uh, you know, the quote inside. And then you, you can actually start up a conversation with your grandparents while you're, um, you know, sharing around a box of candies, which is uh, part of their product. Now switching gears mm-hmm. a little bit, we know what it was like for us growing up with Sue. Um, what mm-hmm. was it like for you growing up with Sue as your mom? <laughs> Did everybody know that <laughs> this is your mom? <laughs> Were they afraid to come to your house because she might talk to them? <laughs> like, how, how did that work? <laughs> well, it's interesting you should say that, MJ, because really um, it was the opposite. I, I was not comfortable talking to my own mother about sex and sexual health sexual health and sexuality, so I didn't really. Um, she was, the door was always open. She was always amenable to, you know, chatting with me about sex and, and birth control and stuff like that, but uh, I didn't want to hear about it from my mom, and it didn't matter who she was. I didn't care. It was my mom, and it was like, at the time, it was, oh, gross. So, but <laughs> what was interesting was that my friend did want to talk to my mom about it, so they were not shy and running away. If anything, my friends would come over and then I would leave the room and then they would be deep in conversation with my mom, whether it was my girlfriends or my boyfriends at the time. They were happy to sit in the kitchen with my mom drinking tea and talking about all things sex. Amazing. (laughs) But you know what was great about it was that her her talking about it and and opening the door, um, even though I didn't want to talk about it with her, I knew I could if I wanted to. So I think that that's the encouraging thing that, to take away from this for parents or from kids who want to educate their grandparents about using condoms um, is that if once you open the door, then at least they know they can turn around and come back to you and they might be more comfortable talking about that subject. That's a great way to say it. So just sort of like make yourself available. Eventually they'll come to you, right? Just, you know, off the moment when you're... They want to talk about it, maybe not at that second. Yeah, I think if you make sex taboo and a, a subject that you can't talk about, then kids won't. But if if you talk about it with your kids or you're talking about it with your grandparents or your parents, um, you know, uh, and using humor and keeping it light, I think that was something that my mom was really um, um, extremely skilled at, was if you use humor, you break the ice. And um, breaking the ice and then moving in with humor and comfort level, then you make, then you allow other people to relax and be comfortable with the topic. So if we can do that with our seniors, if we can do it playfully through the, you know, the suggestion of candy and um, the gen condoms, then I think we might be able to encourage them to use them um, to keep themselves safe. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian, Will, MJ, Dale, and Charlie for their contributions this week. To Matt Ladder for sorting it all out technically. And to you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About. Rate it. Review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on Facebook and Twitter at Barry360. And on our website, Barry360.com. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.